Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with a really new and good friend that I met at HIMSS 15 last week when she was on our Talk HIT with CTG show as a His Talk Patient Advocate Scholarship winner. We're going to get right to it. Today, we're joined by my new friend, Tammy Rich. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Glad to be here. Oh, it's awesome to have you back so soon. We talked about so many things. We could do a whole series, uh, just you and me, I'm sure. But today we're going to talk about hackathons. But before we do that, why don't you remind the audience about you and your background? Uh, sure, Joe. I've been, I had in sort of my past life been working in uh, finance and quality improvement in hospitals and healthcare. And then I, I even got a business degree at night. But when my son Jameson was born in 1993, uh, a heart murmur was detected when he was just a couple of days old that led us on a very, very long journey through open heart surgeries and other complications with pacemakers and lung disorders that kind of plagued his health for many, many years. But I'm very glad to say that his health is much better now. And after 20-something years in and out of the healthcare system, he's actually about ready to graduate from college, and his health has never been better. Glad you can share that with us today. I mentioned we're going to talk about hackathons. In our side conversations, you had told me how you had gotten involved in a hackathon, but tell the rest of our audience, how the heck did you go from a medical mom case manager to a patient advocate to a formidable hackathon participant? <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. So about a year ago, in or a year and a half ago, I should say, in October of 2013, I was tooling around online and saw that there was an event called a Hacking Pediatrics event at Boston Children's Hospital. And it, this was a Sunday afternoon, and people were, were writing on social media that the final pitches and presentations and then the giving of awards was about to take place. So I thought it sounded really intriguing to think about improving, uh, they described it as improving pediatrics by thinking outside of the box, by being disruptive, and that physicians and children's hospital employees had been invited to participate in this. And so I thought that sounded amazing and intriguing. And I, for a second, I wondered where was the voice of the patient and the family. But I had the time, so I kind of dropped everything and headed into Boston and was really delighted to be in this big auditorium and see several hundred people. The, the level of energy, Joe, was just palpable in wow. the room. And there were esteemed entrepreneurs and innovation experts and leaders and managers sitting on a judging panel while people were with uh, big giant post-its with numbers on them were lining up on the wall leading to the stage and one by one these groups came onto the stage and they had three minutes to pitch their solution for a particular pain point so say for example one was about referrals. When a doctor gives a referral to a patient, you never quite know unless you have a good system in place whether A, the referral was a followed up, so it's usually to, to see a different, see another doctor, see a specialist, 
or it might be to get a particular kind of imaging x-ray exam or something like that. And this app that someone had invented, a physician friend of mine, was called Close the Loop. And he pitched for three minutes with a team of about four or five people and a PowerPoint presentation all about how he and the team was proposing to close the loop on these referrals, both to get back to the originating physician to say, yes, yes or no, your patient has gone for the test or appointment, and then also to close the loop with the patient, here are the test results, and to make sure that those test results get filtered back to the primary care doctor and in the hands of the patient, ultimately. So think of this as three minutes of pitches plus five minutes of questions by these esteemed judges times about 20. So it, it just, they were moving really quickly and people were supposed to be up on the stage setting up their PowerPoint to be on deck once the previous team was moving into Q&A. It was sort of like a well-oiled machine. So I was surprised to find they had never had it before. It was their very first hackathon event. And so that was my first introduction to hacking. And at the end, there were prizes for the top three hackers or innovators whose ideas they really, it really was felt that they could be brought inside Children's Hospital into an innovation sort of collaborative internally and help to be brought to market or brought to research or brought into the hands of, of actual patients. So Holy that was, moly. So you that get was my first three taste. minutes. So you watch these 20 or so groups pitch for three minutes. I can't imagine the pressure of having to get all your talking points in in three minutes. What was your observation? I mean, was there 20 great groups? Was there two or three great groups and everyone else was, eh, they should have practiced more? How did it go? About your middle answer, there were about three to eight groups that either knocked your socks off or had the potential to knock your socks off because you could see how it could really help people. And whether it's patients or doctors um, or staff working in hospitals, you could see the their be benefits were very tangible. There were a few groups who were sort of not ready for prime time. <laughs> and then there were a few groups that would stumble mostly when they were asked questions because it's supposed to be, and I'll go over some of the sort of ground rules they give you when you first start hacking. It's supposed to be freewheeling. You're not supposed to be worried about a business plan or spread. Uh, how are you going to share your idea with tons of people? And you're supposed to be exceedingly flexible and to do this thing called pivot, which me means literally turn your heel on, shift the idea. But a lot of folks found that these very savvy business judges, business people, were asking very technical business questions. Things like you hear on Shark Tank, actually. What is your proof of concept? How many have you sold? How many do you think you would sell? Show me your marketing plan. Things that many people weren't prepared to answer. So unfortunately, it made people stumble a little bit, but... It, you didn't need all those elements necessarily perfectly in place to win. You just needed to have at least thought about them. So it was a mix of groups. Wow. So have you participated yourself in a hackathon? Yes, I have. Tell so us about in October, that. 
in October of this past year, I was in a family advisory council meeting where I'm a volunteer member at Boston Children's. And we use a site, a social networking site just for us that's called Yammer. And a notice had come up on Yammer just to us parents that said, is anybody interested? Parent voices and even patient voices are welcomed at the second annual hackathon in October. And we would like to invite anybody who's interested to consider being a part of the event. We're not exactly sure what your role will be, but we just want to invite you. And it turned out that I was the only parent that raised my hand. So in the background for about three weeks before the event, which was October 17th, the only reason I remember is because my husband's birthday is the next day. <laughs> and so we worked out, they, they got to know me a little bit. The, the people from the innovation department and team reached out to me and they sort of heard about my background and I kept hearing sort of these two ideas or three ideas that were floating through our conversations. One was about pitching, was whether or not they were going to recommend whether I pitch or whether I just, whether I not pitch, whether I just be sort of an advisor. And then two, they kept asking me about my pain points, which is just a funny phrase. I had never heard of it before. And what they meant by that was, what are the frustrations? You know, as a super user of the system, with my son, as I say, getting healthcare for 20 something years, we've logged about 700 nights, Joe, inside children's hospitals oh, over wow. the years. What are the things that frustrate me the most? And it could be clinical quality, but more likely, since patients don't usually judge clinical quality, if you know what I mean, when, when we're asleep during anesthesia, we can't see what the surgeon's doing <laughs> and rate it. But what kind of quality that we can measure as a customer or as a patient or coordination of care or simple mistakes with transfer of information, what kind of things bug the heck out of me that I would want to see fixed. And then the third thing was this idea of almost like the orientation for the hackers was that they had said to me, and this is what we settled on, they said on the Friday night, we have a kickoff event. And they were lucky enough to use the space of MIT. And that's because they work with MIT Hacking Medicine, which was the first group that sort of pioneered these ideas. So they said at our very first kickoff event, it's around six o'clock on a Friday night because hackathons often take place over the weekend to ensure that most people can miss work and because they're not at work so they can come and be part of it. And they said, we want you to sit on a panel with three other folks and you're going to be our only parent. And with the physician who's in charge of information, the chief medical information officer of Boston Children's, and then the chief community physician of Boston Children's, and then the chief nursing practitioner who's really involved in nursing informatics, which is to say, if, a, if somebody says this is what we're going to track for our patients, how do they put it into the computer for nurses to actually do the work? So those three folks and I sat on the panel. And that's how we kicked off the event, while at the same time, people were being oriented to the, the rules of the road, what to expect over the weekend, what the schedule looked like, and just really the lay of the land of what they were about to face. 
Outstanding. I, I want to go to a hackathon like right now. <laughs> I, I want to I want to observe it. I want to understand all the points and I want to start doing hackathons down in the southeast. Maybe they're here and I just need to learn how to participate. So obviously I see some excitement. Are you a hackathon junkie as well? I think I am. You know, I it's funny. I, I think of us parents, especially with a sick kid, we cocoon a lot. We go into into ourselves and take care of ourselves until our kid is well. And so I, I kind of like to joke that we don't get out much. <laughs> but once we once you start to get out and people ask for your participation and really ask you what your pain points are, it was sort of like I was in this MIT classroom with the very high stairs going up down at this table being handed a microphone and said this is your license to sort of complain about what's wrong and I know that our uh, listeners can't necessarily see this but I want them to imagine a small index card that's a colored index card and what this is is my son's medication lists from, I think this one is from 2007, and it's dog-eared, and it's covered with writing, and I've got on the front all of his meds, AM and PM, his prescriptions as well as his uh, over-the-counters, and then on the back I've got his allergies and perhaps his recent procedures. It's sort of like my little Bible of the most important first conversation you ever have with healthcare, and it's about medications. What medications are you on? So that was my big pain point that I pitched that night. And I felt as though, I, like I said, I was given a microphone to tell 200 people that this makes me crazy, that I, <laughs> if I can keep it on my phone or I used to keep it on my Palm Pilot, why can't they give me a list that they reconcile to me via computer at every visit. So that is what turned into that night. Then we went for a social couple of hours at a place called Mead Hall. <laughs> and then the kickoff started the next day. And by the next morning, people had convinced me to pitch. So I did get up and give my one-minute pitch on discharge. And that was what I ended up working on. Outstanding. So medication reconciliation was a big part of your pitch then? It was one that I was working on for many years, but in the past three years at Boston Children's, they've made great strides at giving me what I wished for. So now when we check in to our visits, we're immediately handed a printout, which by the way, I've had the same thing sort of in my adult world for about five years, but it's okay, it takes time, and it's a list of my current medications. And they'll hand it to you with a clipboard and a pen. And they'll say, before you see the doctor, we want you to go over this list and make any edits or changes. And then your doctor will go over those with you. And in a perfect world, they don't have it yet, but they will soon have the corrected list both printed out at the end of the visit and available through the portal. And we're working to spread that thinking and that tool and work to us when we come for inpatient stays and even when we're in the emergency room. So it's a big effort to move a place like Children's to have that roll out in throughout the entire hospital and all of their sites with all of their patients seen everywhere. 
but they're deep underway. Tammy, you said 700 nights that you've spent at Boston Children's. You probably have a lot of Starwood miles at Boston Children's. Well, I've been 25 years on the road, and I have zillions of Marriott points. And Marriott knows everything about me. They know that I like fluffy pillows, and they know that I like certain kinds of rooms on certain kinds of floors. All these kinds of things that you have written on that card that you're so gracious to show us that haven't made it into healthcare. And I think the first step is, uh, we talked before, I lived in Boston from 2004 to 2010. I was actually quite happy to see that my doctor then was ordering from a mobile device and my medications could be reconciled, at least on the outpatient side. I was never an inpatient when I lived in Boston. So they, they had that technology available, but in certain health systems. So if the ambulance happened to take me somewhere else, I think this is still a pain point, which is what you're calling out. Even though I was part of one health system in Boston and you were as an adult at Children's, they didn't have that same capability. And I think the next major step is making sure these capabilities all work between hospitals because nothing drives us more crazy than all these inefficiencies. So as someone who's been there 700 nights, you are the super user and you are the one and it hit me so clearly when we were at Hims talking to you and Carly and Amanda and all you who are advocating for patients that why haven't you been involved? You're the super user of this system. We've designed these health IT systems even as we've spent billions of dollars on meaningful use. We've designed these systems without your input. You know, I guess I'm giving my own commercial uh, between us on the side conversations, as you guys were being interviewed, uh, we thought we'd throw a challenge out there and say, let's make sure there's one patient advocate for every exhibitor at HIMS 15, right? Right. I mean, there's plenty to be found. You've made yourself uh, public in, because you're kind of more of a public advocate, but I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of more people that are super users of the system. You probably know hundreds just from your time at Boston Children's. How do we make sure that happens? What are some good ideas to, to identify the right kind of people that will bring the right kind of conversations forward? So if we're able to find the right sponsors for him, are they as readily available as I just made the assumption? I think that's the million-dollar question. And as I was saying before, it's not that tough of a nut to crack. I learned very early on, probably in my very first job, that we have to look at life as, in a broad way, as service, okay? We're in service really to each other. And there's a, you know, I can get spiritual on you and say, as Ram Dass wrote, we're all just walking each other home. But if you just think about, the way I was raised was, I, help, I would go help my grandparents. If I wanted to get my driver's license, I could only do it if I was going to take the car once a week and do their grocery shopping and so on and so forth. When I got into my first business job uh, where I was you know, earning money, it was about service to the customers. And I think that customer mindedness okay, has taken a back seat in healthcare because there are so many uh, hands in the, in the pot. And I think, for example, 
if you remember, you're probably too young, but the mm-hmm. old TV shows where they would call, they would say, even soap operas, they would call it Doctor's Hospital. I think that model of Doctor's Hospital is actually alive and well in Boston right now, and it's called Harvard Teaching Hospitals. And I'm not saying anything that they themselves, the leadership and the physician leadership wouldn't admit to, but I think when you build a hospital and you build processes that serve physicians in their care of patients and you don't expect patients to become engaged and enlightened and involved in their care, then there's going to be pain to get the transition to happen. And I think for some of us, my advocacy started out just as a routine. I wanted to I was taught that I should raise a child with, not to spoil him, but just to raise him to be health confident and health competent. And to do that, I would need to teach him along the way as he could handle it to care for himself. But what happens is you sit there and you see dozens of specialists and tons of procedures and little things go wrong. And it's, it's to be expected. It's, we're, not, we're human. We're not perfect. But when you see a few things go wrong, that if you only, only had been asked to participate in the conversation, in the plan of care, and in that before that moment happened, then you could have said, oh, you know what? He's got a sensitivity to that kind of tape. So we don't use that kind of tape. So now that he's got these tape burns, because the person in the ICU didn't know that, now let's chart it. And little things happen, and in order for them to not become big things, I think I became more of an almost an activist to say, you know, I have a background in this work. So I thought that that would be enough for me to be listened to. But it wasn't until I had many, many thousands of hours under my belt that I had enough credibility almost as a not a cl- clinician but a sort of a paraclinician parent um, doctor mom to to be able to add my voice and I think that's what we're all we're all in this together so let's start the conversation with who is the customer of this process who's gonna benefit from this service and why aren't they at the table Yep, and thank God for you and me that Regina Holiday and ePatient Dave started this conversation five years ago, right? Because otherwise, and they had the patience to build it slowly. I can only imagine if they hadn't have started that conversation, how frustrated I would be with where we are today. And I know there's others that are involved that I don't know the names, but those are the two I know and really respect. Thank goodness for them that we're developing a seat at the table. We may not have a full seat, but people are open now to talking about patient advocacy having a seat at the table. So, again, kudos to to Dave and to Regina for carving the way for us. Absolutely. And if you wanted me to, I'll share with you a couple of the tips that they give hackers when they get started because I really find them like a metaphor for how we can fix this broken system using, using disruptive thinking and sort of going forward. So my pitch was, again, I chose discharge because it was 
for the 60 or so discharges that I've experienced just with my son, it's this situation where you know that the day is going to come that you're going to be dis- that he's going to be discharged. Maybe it's five to seven days from now. Maybe it's tomorrow. But for some reason, it's sort of a don't worry about that. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it moment. And all of a sudden, there you are. It's the day of discharge. You need about six processes to take place before you can walk out that door. And inevitably, here's what the end of the day looks like. It's 8.30 at night. You haven't eaten dinner. You're driving through the drive through at the 24-hour CVS because nobody's called in your prescriptions for you. And you find out that the resident who wrote the prescription made a mistake, so it would be illegal for them to fill that prescription as written because of a simple math error or a simple word that's been left off. The pharmacist knows intuitively the right answer but doesn't have the power to do anything about it. And all they can do is call an anonymous massive phone number. And I hope to God that the person who was on five hours ago that wrote it is still on and able to take calls. There's no reason for it to be like that. There's no reason you get told things like, oh, well, the resident that's supposed to discharge you is with another sicker patient. So until they sit down at a computer for 20 minutes and enter the entire history of your child's stay and forward it to the nurse to print out all the discharge documents, you're in limbo land. So I stood up and in one minute I basically said, I want to improve discharge. I want to improve the IQ, the EQ, and the safety quotient of discharge. There's no reason for it to be sort of like Groundhog Day, that movie where it's just an endless loop of going through the same thing over and over and over again. That's what my son's 60 discharges felt like, and I propose a smarter way. Maybe just talk to us about, I proposed an acronym or any methodology My acronym, the SMART method that was created at a medical center in Maryland is uh, S for tell us the signs and symptoms we should watch for when we walk out the door. M, what are the medications that have changed? Don't go over all my medications, just the new ones or the different different dosages. A, what are the appointments that I'm going to have afterwards? Give me the time, the, the date, the address the phone number, and the after-hours contact person if I have trouble getting this appointment made, if I have to make it myself. Our test results, how do I get into the portal? How do I figure out what the test results are going to be quickly without a whole other appointment and so that I can make changes that you've taught me myself? And T is what do I still want to talk about? What do I want to talk about? What worries me? What's making me really nervous about this process? And so what we pitched over that weekend was an app where you would put those things into a simple, almost like puzzle pieces, Joe, where it would have the child's photograph with the puzzle pieces on top and an iPad could get handed, for example, to the family at admission where they would say, we're going to do this thing where we call time in. And we know you just got admitted, you're not thinking about discharge, but guess what? We are. So we're going to hand you this puzzle, and we want you to just click on it whenever you want to read about your child's care plan. 
Maybe your child has a new diagnosis, say something very serious like diabetes, but we know that we're going to stabilize your child and send you home in five or six days. But maybe it's time for you to learn about self-administration of medication for diabetes type 2. So press on this button for teaching. Press on that button for your care team. Press on this button to tell us the name of the school nurse because we know you have their phone number and so on. And so at the end of the hackathon, there were 40-something teams to begin with. There were 28 teams at the end. And we stood up and we did our three-minute pitches with some of our business plans. And then we were judged for about five minutes with Q&A. And then we sat back down and this group of six strangers and I were so thrilled just to be part of this wave of energy that when they announced before the final prizes, they announced what they thought was one of the coolest prizes of the weekend was a space in a Massachusetts-based incubator. And that's a process whereby they buff up your business plan on a 10-week internship sort of with entrepreneurs at the top of the med tech food chain. And then they send you out to for venture capital funding. And so they said, that we think this is one of the coolest prizes of the day, even though it's not the top prize. And they called our name. Awesome. Team Ready, Set, Go as the prize winners for the, for the uh, Mass Connect uh, incubator. And we were complete, in every photo, we have our mouths open, like with looks on our faces as if we're saying, what, huh, how is this possible? So we were incredibly excited and honored and we sat back down and we were, you know, fanning ourselves and trying to calm down. And then the prizes were announced and we won the grand prize, the first prize of the hackathon. So... It's just been a whirlwind since then, but as promised, I wanted to share with you some of the things that we, sort of the ground rules that we had to bear in mind while we were going through the process. Um, As I said to you, it's sort of like five steps. Um, It's pitch, and then you mix and mingle and meet each other, and you people glommed on to me and people that were also pitching about discharge. And then we hacked. And while we hacked, there were mentors and entrepreneurs walking around the room giving advice. And they would just sit and listen to you. They would watch you with your post-its and your flip chart sheets and your markers. And some people had prototypes. Some people had oxygen sat monitors, all kinds of devices in and around the room. And they would come and give you advice. And sometimes people do this thing called pivot, which is where they find out that there's nobody who's going to pay for your idea. There's maybe no way to monetize it. Or there may be nobody who's going to, you're not going to be able to charge for it in that setting. So your customer is a different, if it's a different person. And that session, that, that takes place all weekend long. And it's feedback. And so you have to keep what they call iterating. You keep looping through your process again. What's my plan? Will my plan work? What could go wrong? And then what do I want to make a change? Okay. And then you start practicing your three-minute pitches. 
and you're doing this over and over and over again. You're practicing in front of people, and we just really gelled together in a and as I say, strangers one morning and best of friends by 36 hours later. Um, some of the do's are that you're supposed to keep yourself open to crazy ideas. You seek diversity in your teams. You reach out for help. But this is the most interesting, I think. You fail fast and you change. And that's what I mean by iterate and pivot. That's why we went from 40-something groups down to 28. And even in the 20-something, they didn't all look the same as those who had pitched in the first 40. Because some people had completely changed their plan, but they were allowed to go ahead within the room and within the confines of the people that were there and pitch something different. Focus on your problem. And we were told in the beginning, don't come with an answer. Don't come with a solution. But by then, we were really supposed to be open to all aspects of the solution and all aspects of who would pay for it. Some of the don'ts, you don't start out worrying about patent, patenting or intellectual property. Um, you don't discuss ownership. Uh, you try not to develop too broad of a solution. Uh, you, if you get too, too broad, then uh, the judges will sort of ding you on not having a very simple face-to-face, -face, small gap in here's the problem, here's the solution. You try, they, they encourage you not to be negative. They encourage you not to be shy. You have to have some simple kindness ground rules about not monopolizing the conversation and try not to just talk. Try to take action. So you see people writing all over. Every available wall space was covered with those giant sticky post-it flip chart sheets because we were all drawing processes and drawing players and systems and what things actually look like when you actually map out a process. So those were some of the ground rules that we kept in mind throughout. And I think in the end, I mean, certainly it was a huge success for us, but it really, it, it inspires this passion and almost near, not fanaticism, but almost obsession with you know, we were forever changed because we felt as though we had the power, even us parents and patients, there were patients there too, pediatric patients, had the power to go forward and make a huge difference. So that's why I love your passion, Joe, for wanting to jump on the bandwagon and uh, be a part of a hackathon. Well, it just seems like such a learning experience, Tammy. Even if you went through and lost, to experience and see what the winners did what the other ideas were. I've become enamored with tweet chats because it's an hour of really just engaging with really, really smart people. To me, this seems like just taking that hour into over the course of a weekend of being around smart people solving a definable small problem with great ideas. And as you say, if you don't come in with a solution to begin with, and you get to be involved with a whole debate, you get to understand the whole problem. After we get done, I'm going to Google Hackathon and find out where I can go to be a part of one very soon. So thank you for inspiring me on that. And thank you for sharing all this great information about hackathons and about how you've been involved and 
Uh, certainly, we're going to keep up with you and uh, as you move forward, and uh, we're going to find out all about your success in future hackathons. Sounds great. It Thank does. you. Well, we're running a little bit low on time, Tammy. Before we let you go, where can people go to keep in contact with you and keep track with what you're up to? Oh, thanks so much for asking. So on Twitter, I'm at Boston Heart Mom. And you'll see soon that I'm getting ready to launch some work I've been doing kind of, what do they call it, in stealth mode right now, kind of in the background. I've applied to a competition in Boston that is the other part of the equation. What do you do once you've won a hackathon? Well, I told you about you could eventually, when you're ready for venture capital funding, go to an incubator. But before that, there's a thing called an accelerator, which is where you take the germ of an idea before it's a process, before it's a wireframe, before it's an app. And in Boston, there's a contest called Mask Challenge. And that is a four-month accelerator that I've applied to be a part of. So uh, at some future date, I'd love to tell you a little bit more about that. But you can start to see on my Twitter profile more hints and clues about that in the in the coming weeks. Well, Tammy, you have my commitment that I will be your journal as often as you want to be on this show and keep us up to date. I'm so interested and I, I think our audience will be so interested to the extent that you can share details we'd love to have you back on a regular basis oh thank you kindly joe i can think of nothing that i would enjoy more or i have such fun with you and you make it so easy <laughs> that uh it'd be my pleasure and mine as well it's my pleasure to have you today thanks tammy thank you joe all right that wraps this broadcast on behalf of our guest tammy rich I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.